Hi, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. Or I guess I should say hola, since I'm coming to you from Barcelona. Stefanos and I decided to pop over to Europe after I taught at Omega, and it's so good to be back on this side of the world. We pretty much recovered from our jet lag in a day, although last night was pretty rough. We stayed up all day because that's our trick for beating jet lag. You get to the new city, you do some mild exercise, you stay up all day, get some sun, and then you're meant to go to sleep. It really worked well for Stefanos, but not so much for me. I was awake, awake, awake. I was tired all day and then awake at night. Luckily, he's the kind of man I can wake up in the middle of the night and he helped me go back to sleep. And we woke up at 11 a.m. But today we feel great. And that's just one of the things when you travel. We're sensitive beings, so many of us. And sometimes it takes a while to adjust to things. And I'm not just talking about jet lag. Sometimes I feel like we can put so much pressure on ourselves to adjust to a new situation quickly, to bounce back quickly from something, whether it be an injury or a breakup, to learn something really fast. That's something I see with so many of my clients. They have so much awareness and they put so much expectation on themselves that they should just get things and change quickly. We need less impatience, less expectations, and more self-love. And such a big part of self-love is patience, giving ourselves patience to adjust and move through whatever we're adjusting to or moving through. And I have the perfect person to talk about self-love with on Coach's Corner this week. Her name is Melissa Monte. She is a speaker, mindset mentor, and host of the popular podcast, Mind Love, which you can hear me on. Melissa is obsessed with learning what makes us tick after spending too long as a guinea pig for bad decisions, she's learned firsthand how to undo a downward spiral. She's now spent the last 10 years exploring methods of improving the human condition. Through raw stories, personal experiences, and inspiring interviews, her podcast, Mind Love, highlights the incredible role of the mind in happiness, health, and success. So we talk about a lot of different things in this episode. Melissa has healed from many things, including an eating disorder, and I know that's something that many of you have at one point or still struggle with. And so I asked her a lot of questions about how exactly she got to the other side of that, because I know many of you have that question. We talk about self-love, what it actually means. We talk about so much that I really think you're going to enjoy in this episode. Before we dive in, I want to talk to you about your hair. Now, those of you that know me know that I take my hair pretty seriously. Growing up in Texas as a woman, hair is a big deal. And I'm very particular about who styles my hair, who colors my hair, and what products I use on my hair. So you can bet that if I'm endorsing a hair product, I must really like it. And that's how I feel about Function of Beauty. They address all your hair concerns, not just one. We all don't have the same hair, so why should we all use the same shampoo and conditioners? Function of Beauty brings you shampoos and conditioners that are customized and individually filled just for you. Basically, when you order from Function of Beauty, you take a little quiz and you can completely tell them what you want in your shampoo and conditioner. You can select your color, your fragrance, or opt out and have dye-free and fragrance-free. You can name your formula. You can trust the safe and natural ingredients they use. They never use sulfates, parabens, or any of the yucky stuff. And they're over 40% less per ounce than leading salon brands. 
So you can tell them if you have color-treated hair, frizzy hair, if you want more body in your hair, thick hair, thin hair, it's so customizable. I love that. So here's your call to action. This is a really great discount. You get 20% off your first custom formula. To claim it, go to functionofbeauty.com slash over it. Take the quick two-minute hair profile quiz to design your 100% unique shampoo and conditioner formulas. Again, go to functionofbeauty slash over it, 20% off functionofbeauty.com slash over it. All right. And now on to my talk with Melissa. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. One of the main reasons I wanted to have you on is because we're very aligned in terms of how we think of self-love. And then it's more just outward actions that we take it's also about an inward relationship we have with ourselves. So I definitely want to get to your story and what's made you so passionate about self-love and just human optimization like me. But let's start with defining what self-love is and what having a relationship with yourself really means. Well, yeah, I think you kind of answered part of that question with the other part of the question is that I think one thing that we miss out on a lot is Before we can really love ourselves, we have to get to know ourselves more. It is developing a relationship with ourselves. You have to know yourself in order to know how to really fulfill yourself and take time to understand what makes you happy and take time to learn your body's language so you know how to respond to it. So for a long time in my life, I would have feelings and I didn't even know where they were coming from. If they were just rubbing off of somebody else, if it was deeply rooted in in something more than just the surface level. And so over time, through really developing stillness and awareness with my body's signals, I was able to tend to my own needs in a new way. Mm, I love that. I love that. And and you definitely had needs to tend to because, you know, I talked about in your bio, you've, you've had some life experience, victim of sexual assault two times, loss of a close friend, loss of a parent, a dangerous eating disorder. I mean, <laughs> relationship <laughs> with a sociopath. I mean, you've, you've definitely got a life experience <laughs> resume here. So I'd love for you to share just a little bit of your story and why this is such, it's been such an important journey for you. So growing up, I had a pretty charmed life. Nothing bad ever really happened to me or to my family until I was about 15 years old. And then all of a sudden, those traumas that you just listed so (laughs) adequately (laughs) were um, just piled on one after the other. And so I had no idea how to deal with this degree of difficulty, how to deal with the feelings that were coming up with each of these things. And so unfortunately... Yes, there were a lot of things that happened outside of my control, but then I started spiraling in a way where I was piling on my own traumas one after the other. And so after being sexually assaulted and losing a friend and my dad all within a two-year period of time, I just started distracting from myself in any way possible. And it was pretty easy given that I had just gone to college. So I was just binge drinking every single night and partying all the time. That was when I developed an eating disorder. And these were all just ways to sort of distract from the feelings that were going on underneath or and the work that needed to be done to get myself out of it. It was just so much easier to put my attention anywhere else. And so I remember 
years later, I had gotten myself out of some of the issues that I was drowning in. And I got to a point of being functionally screwed up, as I like to call it. (laughs) So on the outside, I had a great job. I had a lot of friends and I'm doing air quotes right now because I was still partying a lot. But I I was still just ending up in these situations and wondering how I had gotten there. And I remember my mom saying at one point, you need to write a book with all of this stuff that's happened. And I was like, but every chapter's a new issue that I seemingly brought upon myself. It would be like chicken soup for the screwed up soul. You know? <laughs> Just new stories, each one. But it wasn't until recently, um, just a few years ago, that I really started finding the through line. Mm. And what was going wrong was my lack of self-love. And so, yes, all of the issues I was coming across seemed completely unrelated, but it was all about not knowing myself, not valuing myself, and not feeling worthy of something greater. Mm. So when I started to realize that, then I was I realized, okay, I have done a lot of self-work, but maybe not the right self-work. Mm. I was working on building myself up on the outside, developing skills that would make me hireable and learning how to lucid dream. And just like, I loved the power of the mind, but not in a way that was really applicable to what I personally needed. And when I found that key, I was able to come at everything differently. And since then, it's almost like riding a wave. Yes, things are still going to come, but I am able to sense what I need in that moment. Mm -hmm. Listen, signs of the universe in a way I wasn't able to before. And I just feel guided and I'm able to look at every challenge and every struggle. My two keys are looking at things with curiosity and gratitude. Mm -hmm. And so I know we've all heard that what's in it for me so many times, but really, really trusting that even though this is hard, it might be the next step to what will take me to the next level that I'm trying to go to. And then just being grateful for it all at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to, I want to ask you some kind of nitty gritty details about some of these things, because I think a lot of listeners hear people like you tell their story and it's kind of like the before and after, but I really Mm -hmm. want to talk about the middle and especially with an eating disorder, because that's something that so many people listening have struggled with, do struggle with kind of think they're over, but it still creeps up on them. What was your how in being able to be free of that? And does it ever creep up today? And if so, how do you respond to it? It still does creep up today. I have my tools. And so I think that's something that I have become really accepting of is no matter what your struggle is, no matter what that that difficult thing that, that seems to plague you the most, I think parts of it will always be there in a way. And it's less about feeling like you dominate it and more about knowing how you yourself can deal with that in a more empowering way. And so for me, I remember in the middle of it, there were times where I thought I had gotten over it, but all I was really, all I was really doing was giving myself more of an ultimatum. Like, yes, I'm my ideal weight right now. So right now I can, I can be over the purging. (laughs) And then the moment that my body wasn't doing exactly what I wanted, then I would go back into a spiral. So what really helped for me was 
developing a relationship with food, which is also about developing a relationship with my body and mm-hmm. learning what I need and learning what, what my triggers are. And I, I did one of the biggest healing, the two biggest steps for healing for me was first joining yoga teacher training, because that gave me a, a new relationship with my body. I didn't really understand before. It was more about, um, asking what I need instead of beating it into submission. So that was a huge layer that, that helped me. It was like a a platform to climb on top of for my next step. And then when I became vegan, it was also really changing my relationship with food. And I'm not saying that people need to become vegan at all in order to change their relationship with food. But for me, becoming vegan was about educating myself on food for nourishment and also feeling really good about what I put into my body. And those two key things happened for me with veganism. But I have heard from a lot of people I've worked with that those same two steps is educating yourself, understanding what's really going on. And so for something like bulimia, a lot of what I was struggling with that I felt such a failure for, I didn't realize was coming from these overwhelming urges to binge was because I was also starving myself and that's going to happen no matter what. And so it was like not eating and then overeating and then not eating and overeating and feeling really good when I was eating less than I should be. And then feeling like a failure when that wasn't sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so when I was able to realize, wait, food is fuel. If I'm eating myself into a food coma, I'm doing it wrong. Food is supposed to be energy. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it was, and when I was developing that relationship with food, it's hard not to also deepen the relationship with myself. And so it was this delicate balance that got me to a place at the same time of also finding really, truly how to love myself and accept myself where I am, regardless of if I'm struggling, regardless of if my body isn't where I want it to be, regardless of if I'm still in a binge and purge cycle, having compassion and love for that girl right there, because beating her up isn't going to work. Yeah, that's so true. I think that's such a, such a thing that I've seen with people with eating disorders is how they get themselves back on quote unquote track, which is back on restrictions or diets or whatever, is by beating themselves up and being hard on themselves. And if that's the main operating system you've used to quote unquote, have a better relationship with food, it's just an operating system that's really, really depleting. So that's just so key what you said there about how important it is to so be gentle because really, from my point of view, an eating disorder is just an alarm system of there's suppressed pain. There's there's ways mm-hmm. you've tried to numb and soothe and and feel pleasure in some way because as, as human animals, we seek pleasure and we seek soothing. Like look at a baby. They seek pleasure and soothing and food. You know, it's like a yeah. it's like an instinct. And so when we are using food or restriction of food or whatever to either soothe ourselves, to give us pleasure, or to give us a sense of control. Most often that's an alarm system of there's a time you felt out of control or a time you felt really scared or a time you weren't soothed or a time when you had pain instead of pleasure. And that's really asking you to heal it. It's it's calling out for, for a deeper level of healing. And I think it's so important to just highlight that healing isn't a one-stop thing. You know, it's not like getting a filling in your teeth where you just go and you get the filling and it's done. 
a lot of times, especially for core things, like some of the things that you've dealt with, Melissa, sexual assault, death of a parent, there, there's a process to that and there are cycles to that. And we can make big progress and then often feel like we're backtracking. But from my point of view, it's not a backtrack. It's just getting to a deeper level. So has that been part of your journey? Have there been times when you felt like you were quote unquote backtracking, but now you realize, no, you're just getting at a deeper cut of it? Yes, 100%. And and it is, and I think a lot of healing is an ebb and flow. And there's such a key to that self-acceptance, no matter what part of the journey you're on and not judging it and not, again, beating yourself up. And I, another huge part for me though, that it took me a long time to realize even after I was years into my healing journey was that Unfortunately, especially with something like an eating disorder, women have a lot of mixed signals given to them or mixed uh, messages given to them about their bodies and the expectations of our bodies and the expectations of what beauty really is and where our worth comes from. And I realized after a really long time that I was letting something outside of myself define my worth. And so this came in a number of, of ways, but such a big part of that was this when I was younger, before I had really taken the time to develop my passions and what made me happy and, and brought an awareness to those things, which some people, especially women, even go their whole lives without really knowing what makes them happy, not what makes the people around them happy, not what society expects from them, not what they told is beauty or, or what, what's expected from a woman or a person in general, but really what lights them up and what value they can bring to the world. And so that was the final step for me with my healing process that really helped even out a lot of those huge backslides, especially in the eating disorder, was realizing I have a story that people need to hear, or I have this in me that I want to share or give or do that somehow makes me feel worthy on a new level. That isn't just about what I look like or what size pants I fit into or <laughs> whatever these things that I revolved so much of my thoughts around when I was 21, when I was trying right. to be look good in a bikini and reading all the articles about what a bikini body is supposed to look like. And, <laughs> and, you know, now scrolling through Instagram, we have more access than we ever have in the history of civilization of just being able to compare where we used to only know the same maybe 100 people, you know, we're not supposed to be able to see perfection. I don't think on an evolutionary basis, like this is, a, we're in new territories. And so the amount that we're comparing ourselves, but all that does is it's looking at what the value somebody else is bringing, or you don't even know what's going on in their life and somehow expecting to be able to fill those shoes too. But if you're doing that, you're always chasing somebody else's idea of happiness, somebody else's idea of a good life. And even if you meet those, meet that expectation, you're not going to feel fulfilled because that wasn't your path. Exactly. And so for me, when I was able to provide a new kind of value and really feel like I was doing something for me was when I really started to heal. Mm, I love that. I love that. And uh, you, you talked about sharing your story 
Um, and I know you made a jump from being super successful at a startup to being an entrepreneur and pursuing this path of being what I like to call a light worker. And that's another thing that comes up a lot on the show. People are in their quote unquote safe <laughs> corporate jobs or wor working for a company, maybe not corporate America, maybe a startup, whatever it is, they're employed by someone else. And they want to make this shift because they've gone through something that has given them a taste of their passion and their calling. So I'd love for you to share how, how you made that shift. Like what was, how did you know, what was the uncertainty like? How did you deal with the uncertainty? Well, I let the uncertainty make my decisions for me for too long until I became so miserable in my current state that I was forced into action. But I will say that that's the last time I did that. And so for me, I was working for a a startup. And honestly, the environment was kind of toxic. I wasn't happy. I knew the people I wanted to be surrounded by at this point, the type of person. And so I was making all of these changes in every other area of my life and still allowing myself to settle in this one area. And so for me, I ended up doing a lot of self-work on what would make me happy. I was journaling a lot. I did all the cheesy exercises that I too long ignored from the books that I was reading. And so I used to read a book and it would have an exercise at the end, like, well, what lights you up? And I would just kind of think about it or what are your mindset blocks? And I would think about them and a few would come to mind. But when I actually did some of these exercises, like a big one for me was carrying around a journal and actually writing down the any limiting thoughts that came to my mind and realizing that there was a lot more holding me back than I initially realized. And then realizing also what are finding the through lines of what would actually make me happy, finding the common denominators of the times I felt most alive and most valuable. And then I developed a plan of attack. And for me, it was it was mind love. It was my podcast and what I'm building now. And I started that on the side. And what that did for me was it gave me a little bit more trust in myself that maybe I could really do this. And through that process, I realized that it wasn't through overthinking and over strategizing and coming up with the perfect plan and having to have everything everything perfect. I do really struggle with perfectionism. Like when I'm building a website, I'm like, okay, well, how do I make sure the SEO is right? And how do I make like everything had to be right for too long. And I finally just started doing and getting things out there. And in doing that, I was able to see my work. I was able to see that I could actually put something out there in the world. And I was able to see the response it was getting. And so uh, it was only about three months before I was making any money from it that I was like, okay, I trust myself now I can go all in. And I dove into it all. Mm. And so I think the action part is the biggest key is just take action. Don't wait for it to be perfect. Don't wait until you have everything figured out. I look at it like, creating a goal or a plan is like setting your GPS to a destination, but then you have to zoom back in and realize that your next turn is a right turn or a left turn. You know, it's not, you're not looking 10 steps ahead and making sure that's all laid out. You know, a general direction of where you're going, but you also allow room to learn more as you go and to kind of shift that destination a little bit as you 
understand more about yourself through the process. Absolutely. And I think perfectionism is another, definitely I see that go hand in hand with any eating disorders or body image things, (laughs) because again, it's about (laughs) control and it's about at some point feeling like you didn't have control. And so control feels very safety and perfectionism is a controlling tendency. So I love that you brought that up and just shared ways to work with it because, you know, that's one thing I, I would say, I don't really consider myself a, a perfectionist. I'm a, I'm a Virgo, so like I catch details, but I definitely don't let things stall because it has to be perfect. You know, like I'm even thinking about my wedding and it's so funny because people keep asking me, oh, are you so stressed out with the planning and how's the planning? I'm like, what? what? I don't understand. Like, am I supposed to be doing things? I'm not like get a venue, have some pretty flowers, have a dress, make sure the invitations are out. Like what, like, what is this? And, and I think the old me would have been more of a perfectionist if I need to have like the perfect this and the perfect that, and I need to have this and that. And, and it would rob me of my joy. And that was one of the main ways that I was able to get over perfectionism is it robbed me of my joy because anything I did, even if it was something that I loved, some of the joy would be stolen away by my perfectionist tendencies because I'd be so focusing on how to make it better and the details that I was missing the moment. You know, I was missing the opportunity. And so I think Melissa and I are both saying to everybody listening, you know, that perfectionist part of you is just scared. It's just scared of being Mm -hmm. judged, feeling out of control, getting it wrong. And then the perfectionist is scared of the future self inner critic part of you that's going to be mean to you if like you send a blog out with a typo or something like that. (laughs) And so I had to also be mindful of my inner critic who, if I sent an email out with a typo, was like, you know what? It's human. It's okay. And that's one of the reflections I've gotten from people listening or people that read my emails is you know, it's so nice that you like share about your mistakes or that you send something out with a typo or something like that. And, and I think that that is another thing to keep in mind is we are way harder on ourselves than anyone else possibly could be. And, and this comes back to our relationship with ourselves. So Melissa, I'd love for you to share just some, some tangible ways that people can start to be more aware of their relationship with themselves and take actions to have a more loving relationship with themselves. Yeah, I have a framework that I committed to when I was really changing my relationship with myself. And it was really about redefining how to really care for yourself. And so for me, realizing that, you know, just like, I feel like it's overused the whole self-care, like pampering, when a lot of the times those things aren't really what you need. It might be sometimes, but it's more about being able to listen and bring awareness. And so for me, the the four steps are commitment, awareness, relationship, and embodiment. And so first you need to really commit to this relationship with yourself, not put it on the back burner, not think of yourself as selfish, really understand the reasons why. Because when you are always trying to care for everybody outside of yourself and not yourself, You're doing everybody around you a disservice. It is not selfish. You show up better for other people when you have your needs met. And you're the one that can best do that for yourself. The second step is awareness and taking time to actually spend time with yourself, whether that's in meditation, whether that's journaling, what 
for you makes you feel connected to yourself and allows you a little bit more visibility of your current patterns, your feelings, your emotions. How do you validate those? What are they telling you? The relationship is about understanding those on a deeper level. So once you've spotted those, some of your current tendencies and your patterns, then translate that. Learn your own language. At first, it's going to feel harder because, I mean, I remember not knowing how to follow my gut because I didn't know what my gut felt like, (laughs) you know, like I had all these voices in my head and I had been for too long allowing the inner mean girl to be the loudest voice in my head. And so I had to take time to develop the relationship with the other side and to embolden that before I could really understand what actions to take. And then the embodiment is about taking those actions because before that, it's all kind of priming your way. But the actions is when you really start to create new habits. You can't create a new habit without experience and grounding it into the real world. And so it's a dance, I think, where you go back to all of those steps at different times with different areas of your life. But through those things, I I mean, now, like I, t- I said in the earlier question that that was the last time I did that. Now I'm able to more powerfully move through the world in a way where I can hear the signs, not just from the universe, but even from myself, like what is going to feel good in this moment. And when a challenge pops up, I trust that I'm going to be able to handle it, even if I have no idea how I'm going to do it at that time. So I do think that the action is the most important step into actually creating real and lasting change. I totally agree. It's that action with the self-talk, you know, the action with the self-talk and the feeling you, you, that for me has how has been what has dropped awareness into integration. Like there's a lot of awareness of my inner critic and how I'm hard on myself and why I'm hard on myself and why I developed a protective strategy of being harder on myself than anyone else could be because of, you know, being not accepted and teasing and all that. So I had the awareness But things didn't integrate and it didn't shift until, like you said, I took the action, you know, everything from having boundaries, saying no when I really meant no instead of yes, because I wanted to please someone else, doing things in terms of my schedule so that I had more time for self-care and self-love, being easier on myself, letting go of that perfectionist like I talked about. So this is really the, the, I don't want to say secret, but this is the key to feeling and living in a loving, healthy relationship with yourself is taking that action, that aligned action in addition with how, how just you treat yourself. So thank you for putting that into like a formula because I love how you make self-love so tangible because I think it is really elusive for people. So thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world. And I know people are going to want to learn more. So please share about your podcast and share about your programs and where people can connect with you. Yeah, my podcast is Mind Love, two words on any podcast platform that is your favorite, or you can go to mindlove.com. And on social, I'm at mindlovemelissa. And I also do have a 30-day mindset transformation that goes through a lot of these, these keys and really developing a relationship with yourself and also how you interact with the world. That has been really powerful for a lot of people. And it launches every season. And the next next launch date is July 1st. So I would love for anyone to join me there at mindlove.com slash course. Beautiful. I love that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Melissa. Well, thank you for having me. 